Tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint. Can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, we are through one week of action at the All England Club, and we still have one Canadian face in contention in doubles. We had a 15-year-old stealing all the headlines on the women's side and the big three on the men's side look as dominant as ever. So as the Wimbledon championships continue, we've just got through Manic Monday, Mike, and it really delivered as usual. We saw two top candidates fall in the round of 16, Ashley Barty, Carolina Pliskova. I want to start on the women's side, and maybe of those two, which was the biggest surprise for you uh, already out in the round of 16? Well, I'm going to go with the uh, Mukova win over her uh, fellow Czech compatriot, Carolina. Uh, mostly because I, I got to be honest, I slept through the uh, Ashley Barty uh, shocking upset as well. Um, but uh, to me, although Allison Risk pulled off a great match and, and definitely a, a big upset, uh, she is considered grass court specialist, which doesn't mean you're going to win every match you play on grass. But uh, to me, there was that potential. And Ashley Barty, as great as she's been playing for so long now and coming off her French Open victory and and put into the list of big-time contenders here at Wimbledon, she's been playing an awful lot of tennis over the last little while. And at some point, you are going to lose a match. And someone like Allison Risk is, is going to pose a, a tricky proposition for any player on the WTA Tour. Uh, to me, I thought the ace queen, uh, Carolina Pliskova, was was uh, was the one that was going to advance with a little bit more ease. And credit to her 22-year-old uh, younger opponent, uh, Mukova, who was just so solid and impressed me so much. I got to be honest, I hadn't seen a whole lot of her coming into this match, but she just showed an incredible amount of uh, poise, especially at the net. She had some great leaping volleys and smashes. She was able to react to things when they'd suddenly change with incredible uh, ease as well and sort of you know come up with something clever on the spot. And, uh, and she was down. I mean, Pliskova was serving 11-10 in the final set. And then Mukova broke her at love, which was, again, incredibly impressive from what I saw. And uh, thought we were going to get the first, um, you know, uh, I don't know, extra special tiebreak, whatever you want to call yes. it, at, at 12-all. And, uh, and we were denied with that 13-11 win from Mukova. So I think, to me, that was probably the, the bigger of the two. But both were shocking, and today really lived up to the billing as, as Manic Monday because there were a ton of, of interesting results uh, in, in both uh, draws. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, certainly fascinating to see uh, the women's match uh, move to 13-11 with uh, Mukova prevailing over Pliskova, which uh, obviously was was a major shock, and I don't think we would anticipate the new Wimbledon rule coming into effect on a, on a women's match, but it, it nearly did. And yeah, you mentioned this is not a player that many people know, I think. She just broke into the top 70 uh, earlier in June, so she's still sort of under the radar young player, uh, but rising, uh, and, and a great moment for her to, to beat her fellow compatriot Czech player. Ash Barty, uh, look, 15-match win streak, you take over world number one with the French Open, had great results on grass leading in with a victory. 
Uh, I, I don't think she's going to hang her head in disappointment at all. She's been on such an exceptional run. And Allison Risk uh, on a run of her own. Uh, first beating Belinda Bencic, who was another name I think we thought as a potential candidate to go pretty deep in this tournament. And uh, now takes out Ashley Barty and really sets up a blockbuster with Serena Williams, who is now quite calmly, after a couple early round scares, really cruising in the draw, beating Carla Suarez Navarro very comfortably 6-2, 6-2. So understandably... Allison Risk is going to be the major underdog in that matchup. And surprisingly enough, uh, they have never played before head-to-head. And Risk is going to battle. I mean, that's what she said in her post-match press conference today that she was most proud of uh, in her victory against Barty was the fact that she was willing to battle and really fight for for every point. Uh, I mean, she's not going to go in there and blitz anybody off the court. Uh, Straight set victories do not come to her all that often. She's uh, produced a string of three setters lately, and uh, that's going to have to continue if she's got a hope at beating Serena. They've played doubles together before in Fed Cup, uh, but they've never played one another in singles, which I found kind of surprising because yeah. it's not like Risk is uh, is a younger player or anything like that. Both are veterans. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, it's definitely Serena is, is picking up steam as she goes along, um, but I still don't see her in her top peak uh, condition on the court. I think the movement still has a ways to go. Her coach, Patrick Mortoglu, says that uh, there's no pain in the knee, so that's definitely nice to hear that she's playing uh, pain-free and obviously wouldn't be playing in the uh, mixed doubles if she wasn't at 100% of course. Uh, with Andy Murray. But uh, I think this match will be probably closer than a lot of people expect. Uh, risk into her first career Grand Slam quarterfinal, which is really cool. She was elated in her press conference today. Just uh, It was really neat to see her smiling and laughing and, and enjoying that, that special moment for her. But I still think Serena is, is beatable. Just uh, you know, haven't seen what I consider still close to her best tennis, although she came up with some great shots against Carla Suarez Navarro today, for sure. Yeah, I thought I thought that's uh, probably the best. She's struck the ball from the baseline in terms of her ground strokes so far in this tournament at, at Wimbledon, beating Navarro two and two. We'll run down all the quarterfinal matchups for you, but uh, we have to go to the the one young lady who stole all the headlines on the women's side. A 15 year old American, Coco Goff, was the youngest ever to qualify for the main draw at Wimbledon and reach the round of 16. It all started with an opening round upset of her idol Venus Williams uh, and, and then gets to the third round I think we could have understood if uh, it was all said and done there uh, against Herzog playing a veteran player she rallied from two match points down down 6-3-5-3 to win that match in three sets incredible drama on center court where she uh, pulled that off and then uh Finally runs into Simona Halep, uh, who was just a little too much uh, on this day. Halep defeating Coco Goff 6-3-6-3. But I think this is a young woman that we're going to be seeing for years to come. And such such a beautiful game from the baseline. She attacks. She's fearless. Great on the backhand side, which is fantastic to see. She's so sharp mentally, ice in her veins, and she's just 15 years old. I could see her being one of the young names. Uh, we've mentioned other names like Anisimova. These are the types of players who are going to be taking over the women's game. And, uh, you know, I want to say four or five years, but it feels like much maybe less. Sooner. Yeah, maybe, maybe sooner. Maybe sooner. Maybe they're ready for it now. Um, yeah, I mean, coming into the tournament ranked outside the top 300, now going to be up uh, just inside the top 140, which is quite the leap and deservedly so. Uh, I just love the composure, both in her game on the court and the way she handled the questions and all the, uh, you know, the uh, the attention off the court as well. Of course. Uh, we did see moments where she certainly did seem like a 15-year-old as she was reacting to, you know, tweets from celebrities and Michelle Obama mm-hmm. and all these people that, yeah, how could you not get overwhelmed in, in such a positive way by by getting that attention? Um, 
to me, what's going to be interesting is, is moving forward is this has been wonderful. What a great run. Uh, what happens next? How do you carry forward that momentum and realize you've got to go back and grind it out from the first match? No one's going to give you anything because, oh, that's Coco Goff who yep. played so well at Wimbledon, who beat Venus Williams. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen like that. So it'll be interesting to see how she responds. And it's not easy. I mean, look at how some players who are even older than her handle that sudden fame and attention, like uh, Naomi Osaka, who has admitted to being struggling with all that attention that she's getting now. That's right. And if you look back, I mean, yes, there's players like Martina Hingis, Jennifer Capriati that, that had success at a young age and then went on to have very successful careers. Uh, it should be noted, however, both of those two did struggle. Capriati, um, you know, earlier than Hingis with the fame and suffered some burnout. Hingis as well had to leave the game for a while. Uh, but there's other players out there like uh, Yelena Dokic, Alexandra Stevenson, uh, Melanie Uden, who was not 15, but maybe 16, 17 when yes. she had US that Open great run. run at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And those players, you know, they, they carried on, they soldiered on, but none of them was able to take it to the level of excitement that was produced in their big coming out moments. And so for Coco Goff, I, I don't get that vibe from her, but, uh, you know, at the time I, I thought more of those three players I just mentioned as well. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how her parents and her team and, and Patrick Mortoglu, who's involved there as well, sort of keep her grounded uh, moving forward. Yeah, and, and she certainly has the, the pedigree. It's not like she was coming out of nowhere, obviously. Even having the opportunity to be opportunity to be qualifying for Wimbledon at age 15 tells you how spectacular her results have been leading in and she was a a junior singles Grand Slam winner runner up in the girls singles event 2017 US Open so she has the pedigree she has the backing Um, obviously she's never had this many eyes on her she had not the experience of being at center court on Wimbledon maybe it's something that can help her in the future that if you've dealt with that at the age of 15 and handled it so well uh, that you can handle anything going forward. I thought that match also against Venus was almost like some sort of a passing of the torch in American tennis. You've got the 39-year-old Venus Williams, who's had such an epic career still going, and and obviously at Wimbledon, of all places, where she had arguably the most successful moments in her career, uh, losing that match to Goff, and then that moment at the net when they approached one another and had this handshake. It was really, it was kind of cute. You know, Goff was holding on to Venus's hand, Mm -hmm. trying to, like, mention what a great role model and what an influence she had on her career and and Venus was smiling which was also very nice to see Uh, Venus is almost becoming like this stepping stone for young players because Bianca Andreescu told us earlier this season that that was the first win that really clicked for her that, hey, I can do this and I can hang with these players. That's right. Yeah, that was her uh, huge kind of breakthrough moment early in 2019. And look how far it has carried her. Unfortunately, she is not at at Wimbledon, uh, still rehabbing that shoulder injury. But we are down to the final eight on the women's side. I'll run through the matchups. Allison Risk, as we know, is facing Serena Williams. That's on the top half. Barbara Stritskova against... uh, Johanna Conta, who we will discuss, Alina Svitolina taking on Karolina Mukova and Simona Halep against Zhang Shui. Uh, let's touch a little bit about, about Simona Halep because, uh, look, she's been world number one, finally was taken away from her, but last season was uh, certainly the best of her career, finally winning that first Grand Slam title coming on coming on the clay, which is, of course, her best surface. And we forget about how great an all-surface player she is. Uh, it's been a while since she's had a run on the grass. She was in the semis in 2014 before Jeannie Bouchard defeated her there. She looks really, really comfortable over the past week. Obviously, the draw maybe uh, was of some good fortune getting to play the young Coco Goff in, in the round of 16, uh, but still looks like a pretty favorable draw for her going forward. And uh, she's 
certainly establish herself as a contender here. Yeah, she's playing fantastic. I thought the second round match, uh, sorry, third round match against Victoria Azarenka was really telling for me in terms of where Simona Halep is right now because that one had the potential to be a long three-setter that truthfully I wouldn't have been surprised if Azarenka emerged as the winner in that one and she handled that one fairly easily. And then even going up against 15-year-old Coco Goff, I mean, you could have a moment where you put more pressure on yourself because, hey, I'm so much older and more experienced. I'm favored. I should really be winning this match but here comes this you know precocious teenager who's already knocked off Venus Williams and is playing so well and that can add and even in the beginning I believe Goff broke off the start of the match uh, and and was up uh, a two to one and it looked like perhaps you know Simona was going to get or, or had the opportunity to potentially be a little bit overwhelmed by the outside factors that were coming in. She she double faulted a little bit more yeah. today than she has in previous matches, but she ended up pulling it together for what was it six three six three victory. She's looking pretty sharp out there overall. She's got a good draw, um, and so like you said, you know, multi surface. Even though grass, I would say is probably her least favorite. Uh, she's a threat no matter where she plays, and she's a fighter. And at this stage of the game, uh, you know, we're down to the final eight. Not that many prior Grand Slam champs left in this draw. She knows how to do it, whereas many of these women, uh, you know, have not had that uh, moment yet. That's true. One fascinating element about her upcoming competitor, though, Shui Zhang uh, of China, actually leads their head-to-head, two to one. Yeah, two to one. Now they haven't played in a while. That's true. And going back uh, but, to 2016, but still has won the last two matches against. Yeah, her. the win that stands out to me was 2016 Australian Open, uh, which would have been first round match. That's a big time upset for Shui Zhang. So uh, she can go into that matchup with a bit of confidence, knowing you're playing a top player that you have beaten before. So she can. Uh, Tell herself that with comfort and give herself certainly a chance in that matchup. Johanna Conta, uh, I had Chris Otto of Tennis Now in our Wimbledon preview last week, and I mentioned Johanna Conta actually on my short list of my top five of contenders. Absolutely. And she had a heck of a win over uh, the two-time Wimbledon champ, uh, Petra Kvitova, and looks to just be thriving off the crowd support now at the All England Club. She was a semifinalist two years ago. 2018, obviously, was a major downfall, but uh, we've talked about her level of play the past couple of months that she's really hitting her stride and her level right now reminds me of her level what it was at when she was top five in the world. Yeah, and she closed that one out today. I mean, she was serving at 5-2 for the match, and Kvitova broke back, and then, okay, 5-4, I've really got to, this is my last chance, perhaps, yep. to, you know, unless things are going to get back on serve, and she managed to do that, you know, which was nice to see, and for her, getting her game back on clay, to me, was was such a surprise for Joanna Conta. Didn't see, uh, you know, her rounding into form on that surface, uh, where she'd never even previously won a match at the French Open before. And so now she's coming into the grass court season on a surface where she's had prior success, playing in front of her home home crowd, and she's got the confidence of playing great on a surface that isn't her ideal choice. Uh, that, to me, is a, is a perfect recipe for her to have a run like this. And certainly I considered her a favorite coming into the event. Kvitova was going to be a tough one. You knew that one was going to go three sets. She yeah. overcame that challenge, two-time former Wimbledon champion. And so uh, Kanta against Stritskova, I like the matchup. I mean, Stritskova is a tough grass court player. Uh, very good at the net, but you got to say Conta is the, uh, the the heavy favorite in in my opinion in this one. Yes, certainly uh, would be the favorite there, and that could potentially set up a major semifinal blockbuster if we have Serena win her match against Risk and Conta come through. Uh, against Stritskiva, though nothing is guaranteed. We've seen plenty of upsets so far. Alina Svitolina, another surprise uh, 
Nice to see her make a run here to the quarterfinals. Last year, we were always talking about the narrative of, of her being this great player. When are we going to see the Grand Slam breakthrough? She was essentially kind of the women's version of Sasha Zverev on the men's side. Such a great player, tournament to tournament during the calendar year. And then when the Grand Slams come around, she doesn't seem to be able to put it together. Uh, but she certainly looks to be right now in a great win over Petra Martic, 6-4, 6-2. And I'm sure she's rather thrilled to be facing Mukova rather than Pliskova next. Yeah, and Mukova spent, uh, Mukova, sorry, spent, uh, what, over three hours on court, something like three hours, 13 minutes on court, and they've got to go back and play uh, on Tuesday. So it's not much of a turnaround for the women. Definitely having a little bit less time on court and being more rested is going to be a, a benefit to Svitolina, uh, a little bit older. Not that much older, though. I, I look at this matchup and I think, oh, it's the veteran against the young up-and-coming, but... There's only two years between them. Svitolina's 24 and Mukova's 22. Yes, still very uh, young. But Svitolina has so much more experience overall. And into now her second Grand Slam quarterfinal, it, it would be nice to see her capitalize on that, take it one step forward. Uh, I mean, this is a top 10 presence for the last couple of years, but hasn't had that slam moment to uh, to validate, I guess, in some people's opinions, and, and probably her own to have that that validation that what she's working towards, she's making progress in that uh, in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so there are your semi, our quarterfinal matchups upcoming on the women's side. Some major surprises. I'll just run down from week one. You already mentioned Naomi Osaka. I had fairly high hopes for Angelique Kerber, the defending champion. Very surprised to see her lose in week one. Sloane Stevens out. Madison Keyes, another name that uh, I spoke about with Chris Otto last week. I thought she was a, a definite candidate to make an, a run here at the Wimbledon Championships. Didn't happen. And Belinda Bencic out, of course, to Allison Risk. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. I'm Ben Lewis. He is Mike McIntyre. We will get to the one Canadian on the women's side that we had in the singles draw, Jeannie Bouchard. Of course, she was a finalist five years ago. She fell to Tamara Zidansek, 8-6 in the third set. I will give credit to Jeannie for her fight in this match. It's easy to lay down when you get in into those dogfights deep in the third set, but she battled. You could tell she really wanted to win. And in that regard, I'm going to say it was, it was actually a slight step forward. It, it was eight to six. Obviously the, the effort was there, but still when it gets down to those moments, you know, Jeannie doesn't have the confidence right now yeah. and the recent match wins under her belt to be able to trust in those, you know, some matches come down to one or two key points, right? You get a break point or you got to save a break point and she just doesn't have enough under her belt right now to be able to go to, uh, to trust in herself. I mean, it's been five straight losses now for Jeannie Bouchard, her last match win February 17th. That was a long time ago. A long time. And I know she had time off with the abdominal injury and she's lost her coach, uh, Michael Joyce, but I think she's got to find someone. Uh, and if she's healthy, she's got to, you know, get back and be practicing a ton um, and, and playing, you know, hopefully several events throughout this summer to, to turn things around. And sometimes all you, you just need that one win to hopefully sort of spearhead things. I mean, look on the men's side, uh, Tennis Sandgren comes to mind right now just because he was in quite a losing streak. And look what he's been able to do, even though he fell to, to Sam Query today, but still a great turnaround for him in a Grand Slam. And for Jeannie, she's just got to get that one win to start getting things back on track and, and believing in herself in those key moments. And, uh, you know, it, 
it was it hasn't happened yet unfortunately no but uh hopefully uh there's plenty of time to turn it around she's still just 25 years old uh we can make this happen as we come into the summer hardcore swing she has to get more match play she has to be competing yeah. week to week you can't have these big lulls of two months you know off the court and then kind of showing up and hoping to scratch out a win or two it's just too difficult and maybe what she's got to do right now is something like when i look at vashik pospisil who's coming back after obviously a much longer layoff but he's going to go and, and grind it out a bit this summer on the canadian uh swing i think and play some of those sort of itf challenger uh events that you normally wouldn't see a player of his ilk playing in yeah and i think for genie and we've said this at times before maybe you got to go down and you got to get some of those wins and you gotta you know like mm-hmm. hey if andre agassi can go back and play the challenger circuit when he was coming back from a lengthy layoff other reasons mind you uh then anybody can go back and and do that to build themselves back up. I don't think it would hurt. Uh, She can't just show up at the Rogers Cup and think things are going to click there. Uh, Although she will be coming into the Rogers Cup without the weight of, you know, Canadian number one and all the media attention because we do have Bianca Andreescu who's going to take quite a bit of that uh, from Jeannie this summer for the first time. Yes. No kidding. Uh, we do have one Canadian still alive in our doubles draw. Uh, this to me just is never surprising when Gabby no. Dabrowski is having such great success in doubles because she does it with such frequency. Her and Julie Zhu as the partnership are so solid and they are now into, uh, I want to say the semi quarterfinal quarterfinals part of me um and they haven't dropped a set en route they'll have uh, maddox sands and daniel collins next uh they're the fourth seeds um such a strong partnership and they've been playing some of their best tennis actually at wimbledon dominant dominant wins hey look if you told me ahead of the tournament there'd be one canadian standing on either side come manic monday the end of manic monday uh, i would guess without a doubt i put money down that it would be gabby dabrowski and not just because she's in the mix and the women's doubles but because she's become so reliable Mm-hmm. Uh, for for Canadian tennis, and uh, her match in mixed doubles was uh, suspended due to darkness as uh, her and Matej Pavic were up four uh, three on serve though in the third set against uh, Maddox Sands as well and uh, Jamie Murray. So that one will be completed on on Tuesday. But um, yeah, Gabby's the the anchor of Canadian tennis in my mind, and you can count on her again, regardless of the surface in doubles. Uh, she is uh, always ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, look, she's had such great success in mixed doubles with two Grand Slam victories. I'm sure her and Julie uh, would absolutely love a Grand Slam title in women's doubles. It hasn't happened yet, but they were in the semis of Wimbledon last year. They're getting closer and closer, and uh, you can tell as their rankings rise uh, that they're one of the top candidates uh, to prevail here. And it would be great to see her uh, potentially make uh, a Wimbledon final. That would be spectacular. Uh, other Canadians just to mention here, uh, and not at Wimbledon, and by choice, is uh, Leila Annie Fernandez, who won the Junior French Open a few weeks ago. And I think really wisely choosing to, you know, th- there would be an allure to go on to Wimbledon and try and win that one as, at well, as well at the junior level. But she's opted instead to play the Canadian uh, hardcourt summer sort of swing yep. and head out west to Saskatoon and, and other locations, uh, preparing for the Rogers Cup. And depending on how things go, if she has a successful swing here, I'd say a main draw wild card is certainly a possibility for the Rogers Cup. And even if that doesn't come to be, a wild card certainly for qualifying. And uh, hopefully she's coming in with a little bit of confidence playing against pros rather than going back and playing more against the juniors where, you know, what would another victory there really prove, to be honest? Yeah, I think she's uh, ready to challenge herself further. Another name we should mention, uh, we had her on the program uh, before we were officially Matchpoint Canada, but we did speak with her, Carson Brandstein, another Canadian. Uh, She announced on Twitter uh, that she's beginning uh, the Canadian Summer Swing. Essentially the same route, uh, ITF events beginning 
Saskatoon, 25K there. Then she's off to Gatineau, Granby. Uh, plans to try and qualify for Rogers Cup, and then she'll be playing a 100K in Vancouver uh, later in August as well. So uh, she's another player that has a lot of upside, uh, still very young, I think just 18 years old, and uh, dealt with some injuries, but is healthy and can uh, really test her body with a, a long stretch of tennis this summer. I'd like to see her team up with uh, Bianca Andreescu in doubles. because well, the best two friends are, are, are on Instagram, buddies. right? <laughs> and, and in real life, too, not in just on in Instagram. Yes. But yeah, they're, they're close. They've won uh, the French Open and I believe Aussie Open at the junior level as doubles mm. partners they have a heck of a lot of fun together and uh, I, I hope you know that they're able to uh, sort of reunite and, and have some fun on the doubles court as well who knows with uh, Bianca's uh, shoulder if she's going to push it when she does come back and sort of pull double duty might be best just to stick to singles but either way it'd be great to see Carson Brandstein uh, here in Toronto this summer as well it certainly would you are listening to Matchpoint Canada you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can subscribe on SoundCloud soundcloud.com match point Canada. We will get to the men's side of the draw. Manic Monday uh, brought together some surprising results, some completely reliable results that we're so used to seeing year after year. Uh, Milos Raonic, I want to start on the Canadian side just as we ease into the men's portion of the draw. He had been the model of consistency really at Wimbledon. It was where you could trust him the most, grass being his favorite surface. Quarterfinals are better four of the past five years. Coming here, of course, the Wimbledon final in 2016, and he looked to have things completely under control against uh, Argentino's Argentina's Guido Pella won the first two sets, had opportunities to serve it out twice in the fourth, and everything just started slipping away, and Pella rallied to stun him in five sets, 8-6 in the fifth. Now, Pella is such a scrappy, difficult player. He moves exceptionally well, great passing shots, but uh, for me, this is one major disappointment, an opportunity missed, really, for Milos, kind of letting a match get out of his control, really. No, absolutely. That's what happened. And I mean, we, you know, preemptively when we were going through our little prep sheet here to prepare for our, our podcast, had it sort of written up as if, you know, great opportunity for Milos heading into the quarterfinals yep. again at Wimbledon. And that obviously hasn't come to fruition and credit to his opponent, Pella. But also, I got to say, like, Milos was getting tired as that match was going on. I, he admitted afterwards, you know, he was running out of, you know, gas in the tank. And I think, honestly, his level of physical fitness needs to come up, uh, especially, you know, when you're heading into a slam to be able to have something left in that fifth set. Uh, You're up two sets to love and, and a break and you're a server like that. To me, it's almost inexplicable how you let something slip through your fingers unless you start to tire and you can't get back to that level where you're able to move as freely and quickly as as you want to. He looks physically like he could be in better shape, which I know we said also uh, a year or so ago at the Aussie Open when he was starting the season. So I think he can do better in, in that regard. Um, because this is, you know, these are his best opportunities. Wimbledon will be his best opportunity to win a slam. It's been three years now. In fact, today, Manic Monday is three years to the day since he beat Roger Federer in the semis at Wimbledon to advance to his first and to date only Grand Slam final. Uh, if he wants to get back there, I think he's got to dedicate himself a little bit more off the court to uh, to some things fitness-wise. And uh, and let's also say Guido uh, Pella 
He's beaten some big servers before at Wimbledon. This is not uh, the first time he's done this to a former Wimbledon finalist going back, Marin Cilic, Kevin Anderson, uh, and now Milos. It's a shame for him he's not facing John Isner next, I guess, another big <laughs> server. Yeah. Um, because I do think Pella's going to have his work cut out for him in uh, in one of those players that, that you generally have positive things to say about, uh, Roberto Bautista Agu. Another one of the true kind of grinders of the tour, the Spaniard, as. Uh, Always seems to get big wins over top players uh, when you kind of don't expect it. He had a win over Novak Djokovic earlier this year, I want to say, in Doha. Uh, he's never had a Grand Slam run, I want to say, past the quarterfinals. But that's really our one very surprising quarterfinal matchup. And pretty fascinating that we're going to see either RBA or Guido Pella as a semifinalist at Wimbledon. You'd think Bautista Gut, maybe the success would not come on the grass. But he's very, very much flown under the radar. I don't think anybody's really been paying attention to him in this tournament. And really uh, sharp. Sorry, really sharp. Like, he's going gone through with the least amount of time spent on court of the eight men's quarterfinalists, which yeah. is pretty shocking because there's some other names we'll get to in a minute that have go- been going through pretty pretty quickly as well. Um, he took a set off Federer and Hala coming in. That's right. right? He did. And, uh, and he's beaten Djokovic twice this year, Miami and, uh, and Qatar. Yes. So if yes. they do Doha. face each other in the, in the semis you got to give RBA a a fair shot at an upset, given the confidence he's feeling against the world number one this season. No doubt. uh, That would be certainly uh, a very surprising semifinalist matchup to get Roberto Bautista Agu, just the 23rd seed entering Wimbledon to have his first semifinal uh, against Novak Djokovic, Djokovic, but it is certainly plausible now. He had some great wins earlier. Uh, I, I thought he might be in trouble against Karen Kachanov earlier in the tournament in the third round, rolled through him in straight sets. Benoit Paire can always be tricky. That was a straight set victory. So as you said, he's really preserving his energy right now in this tournament, and, and that's going to help him uh, immensely as he enters this quarterfinal against Guido Pella, who uh, was run ragged against Milos Raonic today, but uh, scratched out a surprise upset victory. Uh, Novak Djokovic lined up to face Davi Goffin. I'll say at the top half of the draw, on our bottom half of the draw, Sam Querrey against Rafael Nadal, Kenny Shikori against Roger Federer. Uh, before we get to the one, two other Canadians, rather, we had on the singles draw, Maybe we should talk about the model of consistency of the big three. It's just so dominant, and it's almost like we don't have a challenger ready uh, to enter the ring and properly put up a fight. Nobody's pushing it to the sixth, seventh, eight rounds. I'm so Um, sick of it. I'm so (laughs) sick of these. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not sick of it. Um, Look, Novak, Roger, and Nadal, they've all just dropped one set en route to week two at Wimbledon, and those, to me, the the sets they dropped, Nadal had to face Kyrgios, a very difficult second-round match. Match. Um, Roger Federer first round match he lost the first set of the tournament that he played and I think he was just kind of getting his feet wet Novak hasn't really been tested her catch was kind of a tough opponent they're just cruising along you think round of 16 the top three players Federer scoreline 6-1 6-2 6-2 Nadal 2-2-2 two, two and two. Djokovic 3-2-3 three, three. nobody is even putting up a fight right now. Yeah, they don't want to waste any time. I mean, at their age, they can't stand to spend any extra time on the court. They've got to go and recover, right? They're exactly. all 30-somethings now. But it's it's just, yeah, I'm at a loss for words. What do we say? Grand slam after grand slam. It's the big three. It's the big three. It's the big three. 
and especially at Wimbledon where these guys and throw Andy Murray in there, of course, too, because he had a, a couple, but domination at Wimbledon like no other slam from just these four guys, which seems to be continuing. Uh, it's a guarantee for me that one of these three guys is hoisting the uh, the trophy. No disrespect to Sam Query or RBA or anybody else, but it's not going to happen because these guys just won't let it happen. And the young guys that have already been bounced from the tournament, like Sissipas, Zverev, uh, Dominic Team, I mean... They're just not ready. They're just not, they don't have the belief yet uh, that they can do it. I think that's a big part of it too, is just this lack of confidence. And you can't blame them because they've never done it before. And they see these three guys that since they were children, literally since they were children, these three guys have been winning everything and they're still winning everything. And I don't know how it ends or when it ends. Are we going to be talking about the big three in their early 40s still being <laughs> dominant? I mean, we've got Ivo Karlovich out there at 40 years old still it's winning true. slam matches. And he doesn't have nearly the talent level of these guys. Sorry, Dr. Evo. So imagine these guys stay healthy and they just keep going. I, I don't know. Where does, it, where does it go from here? I don't expect you to have an answer. But for this <laughs> tournament, well, it's per- them. That's it. I know. Well, perhaps if they end up sharing the next 15 Grand Slams, they're just going to get sick of it and say, you know what? I'm over. I'm over just completely dominating the sport. I, I've had enough. That's enough for yeah, me. 30 no. Grand Slams is enough, <laughs> Roger, right? Like, come on. Right. Uh, but, no, you hate to say anything in sports is impossible, but it, it's true. It does seem like an impossibility of somebody else in this draw uh, winning Wimbledon on the men's side. Just think about this potential path. Say if Kaney Shikori were to win his first Grand Slam at Wimbledon, he would have to. Uh, come up with an absolutely draw, jaw-dropping upset of Roger Federer. Okay, all right, you beat Roger Federer. That probably took at least three hours. Then you have to regroup mentally and say you're probably facing Rafael Nadal now. Okay, you pull off the miracle upset against Nadal. Then you're going to get Djokovic in the final. It, it takes so much out of a player just to win one of these matches, just to beat the big three once. Regrouping and trying to beat another one of them right after is just... Far too tough a task. Kevin Anderson, uh, you know, he pulled it off last year beating Roger Federer, but he didn't win the title. It's just too, it's too much. Yeah, and he got Isner next instead of Rafa, right? So yes. it's uh, a little bit of good fortune there as, as well, just the way the draw was set up. Um, anyways, the, the young guys, I mean, sure, their time is going to come, but we've already skipped a whole generation. I mean, the the, the Gauffins, the Dimitrovs, the, you know, Milos denied at, at, at having Grand Slam success. We're going to pass that generation. We're going to get to this next generation. They've got to step up at some point, and they will. I mean, father time is going to catch up at some point, yes. and, and we're going to see... You know, team certainly at the, at the French Open. He's already made a final there, so we got to give him some kudos for of doing course. that. Um, but the other guys, you know, they haven't had that moment, and uh, it's not coming anytime soon the way these guys look. Well, yeah, look, you, you just mentioned two two of the names who are still in kind of that middle g- generation who feels like they're going to completely miss the opportunity. David Goffin, Kei Nishikori are both here. And for me, David Goffin's moment would maybe be stunning Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals. It still doesn't really seem feasible that he could actually win Wimbledon. Kenny Shikori as well. Maybe the moment would be shocking Federer at Wimbledon. He has been to the U.S. Open final uh, five years ago, but it, it just doesn't feel like there's a place for, for that group of players to be able to, uh, you know, snag away one of these Grand Slam titles. It just seems too, uh, too tall, tall of an order. And the way these three are playing now, you know, we look back five, six years ago and talk about their form and how dominant they were now. They look like they're playing 
just as well. I don't want to say they're playing better, but th- there's been no dip in performance, really. What what Federer did to me against uh, Matteo Berrettini, who's been one of the, the, the most on-fire grass court players the last few weeks, you know, was just incredible how he dispatched him with such ease today. I thought that was going to be a stiffer test just based on recent match play, and, and it wasn't. Roger was just, I mean you know, absolutely dominant as, you know, his twin boys were in the box looking on and Stefan Edberg was there looking on and they all have smiles on their face and why not? Even Roger was smiling a couple of times at some shots that just, you know, astounding, right? So, uh, and then for me also Nadal, um, a very solid win over Nick Kyrgios in the second round. That match had all sorts of trouble written on it ahead of time, previous head-to-head, yep. then some of the bad blood, if you want to call it that, that was kind of festering as well because of some curious comments earlier this year. I mean, it's very rare that you can tell Rafa Nadal doesn't particularly like somebody, mm-hmm. and and you can tell that uh, you know him and Kyrgios are are not going to be, as, as Nick said, going out for beers anytime soon. No, uh, that was probably... You know, one of my favorite matches of the first week, I, I really did think it, it lived up to its billing. Four-set win for Nadal. It had Kyrgios and his usual tricks, plenty of entertainment, great shot-making between between two fantastic players. Kyrgios, the top talent, who kind of only shows it when he's playing a player like Nadal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had the brazen behavior again. Kyrgios rifling a ball at Nadal's chest, which he got his racket in the way in time, but then kind of gave him the death glare. What Real a glare that down was. after yeah. that. That was quite something. Thing. And uh, Kyrgios holding no punches in the press conference after asked, uh, well, why didn't you apologize for that? I was like, I'm not going to apologize. What do I have to apologize for? I won the point. This guy has how much in the bank? He's won how many Grand Slams? And I understand his point uh, to a degree. Kyrgios is not of the mold of your typical tennis player. He's not going to subscribe to any old traditions of saying sorry for a net court or sorry for you know winning a point in any way. I can handle that. Yeah, to me, it's sport. It's competition. It doesn't uh, make him a nice guy. It doesn't make him, uh, you no. know, very sportsmanlike. He's not winning the Stefan Edberg sportsmanship trophy anytime <laughs> certainly soon. Certainly not. That's for sure. But I, I'm not going to fault him for that. You want to be the villain. You want to play with that kind of fire and competitiveness. Then do it. But come on, do it week in and week out, or at least do it more often than not. And if you just show up and play that way more often, I could put up with the fact he's got a bad attitude, that he's a bit of a jerk in some ways. I could deal with that and say but look at how he plays tennis on a regular basis. And unfortunately, we only see it when he plays those big guys. And uh, it's very disappointing. You know, it's very disappointing. And he's got his fans. And he does. And he does have that ability to really attract, you know, a segment uh, to the game who are not traditional tennis fans. And that's great. I mean, anything that brings more people to the table to watch professional tennis is a good thing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wish he'd show up more often. In defeat, I I did enjoy that post-match press conference because he was, you know, honest, but I think he was also engaged. And and often in losses, we'll see him. He really won't care in a press conference. He'll just dismiss people's, you know, questions. I mean, here he called out several members of the media, and rightly so. The first question was about, hey, do you regret going to the pub the night before the game? I mean, come on. That that requires a little bit more tact as well. Mm -hmm. But I thought he was pretty spot on in the the press conference too. And I wish we saw that more, more often too because then you wouldn't get the media turn against you right like this is our job to go in and ask these questions we've got to write the articles we've got to get the quotes out there and tell the stories and if you won't let us in to do that and if you're going to put up a wall and and not just put up a wall but be arrogant about it well then how are you going to expect anyone to write anything complimentary about you if that's how you're going to choose to be so if he'd show up more regularly on the court 
in the press afterwards too. And then maybe people would take notice of some of the positive things he does in a charitable way yeah. with his young fans on the court, signing autographs, taking the time. He's got that potential. He just doesn't seem to want to tap into it. No, uh, but look, I, I think whether you love or hate Nick Kyrgios uh, or love to hate Nick Kyrgios, he's, he's must-watch tennis for, for a lot of people. And, and to me, that, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, if he had the passion and fire that I saw on court facing Rafael Nadal facing an 18-time Grand Slam champion, you know, you have to have that same passion towards the sport when you're playing round one at, at Delray Beach against, uh, you know, 128 in the world. That That's what you need to, to reach the level that uh, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic get to. Uh, they, they don't look past other matches. They don't have these bad losses. They don't drift mentally. And as you said in the press conference, he was brutally honest. He had the admission that he's not, he's not professional enough. He knows that. He knows it's something he has to work on. And uh, Nadal said he has the ingredients to be a Grand Slam contender. Uh, and Kyrgios dismissed that because he doesn't do the other things. No, I mean, he, he doesn't have a coach, doesn't want a coach. How many <laughs> players? He's got the money for the coach. It's he not does. a matter of financial Absolutely. barriers in that, in that situation. Think of how much he could benefit from a really solid coach to help him you know, week to week on the tour, but I think he'd view it more as like a babysitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is curious now? 24, I want to say I like, so. Hey dude, at some point you've, you've got to grow up, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he said before, maybe he doesn't think he's coachable, which uh, perhaps is true. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think he's going to see through that talent and uh, rise as high as he should and, and achieve maybe potential dreams, but maybe he doesn't have those dreams or maybe he doesn't want them uh, enough, which is going to be what holds him back in the tennis world. Uh, we've mentioned Novak Djokovic, who's been rolling. I, I want to get to a little bit of off-court stuff before we wrap up. should be mentioned there has been a lot of political drama outside of Wimbledon uh, that's been spoken about off the grounds a lot. We had four players, uh, including Robin Hassa who many people know, Jamie Murray, uh, resigning from the Players' Council. And this followed a seven-hour meeting ahead of the tournament. Uh, I'm exhausted just saying that. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? Seven-hour meeting. So there's an obvious divide between players who are not sure how to proceed uh, with the ATP, who elected Weller Evans recently as the American representative. Djokovic doesn't seem to have a handle on the role as the leader. He's kind of been dismissive of the press. Uh, He had a tough back and forth after he keeps mentioning his ongoing friendship with uh, the very disgraced Justin Gimmelstab, and that becomes a little problematic. And he essentially admitted to a reporter in press a few days ago that he hadn't read the victim impact statements in Gimmelstab's criminal case, which seems like an important thing to do as head of Players' Council. Yeah, first of all, I thought we were done talking about Justin Gimmelstab, and yet he was in London, apparently, you know, in the lead-up to the tournament, and obviously still in conversation with world number one and and ATP player rep uh, president, sorry, uh, Novak Djokovic. To me, that's a little bit concerning. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I found surprising, uh, actually shocking, was the fact that Djokovic said he's only heard one side of things, the side of things from Gimmelstab, which, I mean, you've got to be living down some dark hole not to have heard and read the impact statements or at least heard from people what the other side was. And don't you think you should be taking it upon yourself in your position to be informed on, on what's happening here and, and pick up on not just on social media, but what most people must have been buzzing about earlier in the year when that no contest plea went through. So I don't completely buy it. In that press conference, he did entertain the questions 
and he did delve into them a little bit, and yes. he said, uh, well, if he's proven guilty, then obviously there's no support from my side. Well, although he wasn't proven guilty, a no contest is basically an admission of guilt, so how much more do you need? Uh, then he says he's going to go through the documents and read them. I, I feel like he's just digging himself deeper, you know, especially mid-Grand Slam, you're probably better not to address that at all because then in his next press conference, of course, people wanted to know, well, did you read the documents? Yeah. And he shut it down from the beginning in that conference and said, okay, I'm not talking about this for the rest of the tournament. I got to focus on my matches, which I totally get. I understand. But then don't open that can of worms earlier in the event. Just shut it down. And you've got to go into these press conferences knowing that someone's going to ask you. So have your answers a little bit better prepared, one would think, um, yeah, I was disappointed. And, and generally, I'm a big supporter of what Novak does on the court, off the court. But in this case, I was definitely disappointed in the way he chose to answer and his admission, whether it be truthful or not, that he doesn't know the other side. Um, it, it's time to get up to speed and, and, and take a firm stand in the, in the right way right now. Yeah, I'm just uh, puzzled by the fact that he wouldn't have a pulse on this story and the reaction from the tennis world to this story about Justin Gimmelstab, uh, it was everywhere. Um, you know, I think it was pretty obvious that this is a disgraced, kind of dangerous person that many people were saying has no business ever returning to the sport when you read about the cases of the crime. Even the judge in this specific criminal case uh, of the man he attacked, he was firm with Gimmelstab to say, you can never be speaking about this case and and pleading your innocence. As far as I'm concerned, you are completely guilty. Don't go around professing your your innocence. But it sounds like and he's, that's what he's doing. Sounds like he's completely breaching that and and talking up to to Novak Djokovic, saying, "Oh, it's all sort of made up." And uh, oh, he's he's on the outside, and yet Justin Gimelstab still has not gone away from tennis. And, and Novak Djokovic has to realize how, how serious this is. I know we're not going to hear about it for the rest of Wimbledon, but uh, there's a lot of pressure probably uh, on Djokovic in that president's role now. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what what happens next. When does he answer those questions again? What does he say when he's gone through and, and had to have now by now read the uh, the statements and whatnot? Uh, but it is you know concerning for me that you've got all these players that are walking away. And to me, uh, I mean, it was Matt, Matt Willis, I believe, on Twitter who said, uh, you know, perhaps these players have a little bit too much on their plate being full-time professionals, you know, individuals competing in this sport of tennis to be able to properly devote the time that clearly these political matters require. Maybe it should just be former players who've stepped away from the game within the last few years so they're still current enough to know what the challenges are, but they have the time to devote properly to these matters because uh, it seems to me like it's it's overwhelming them. Yep. And it also seems, as you mentioned in the lead-in, uh, before we move on here, that uh, there, there clearly is a divide and uh, and that's unfortunate to, to see. And it doesn't seem like we're getting any closer to any sort of, uh, you know, um, remedy to this situation. No, I don't see a resolution in sight right now, which is problematic. But I, I think this is the last we will be hearing from it at Wimbledon for now. But it's certainly going to be a topic through the summertime. And uh, let's just hope we don't talk about Justin Gimmelstab on the program again. I certainly don't want to be talking about him a year from now if he's getting invited to be back as a member of the council. That would just be disastrous. And I hope Novak Djokovic can realize that. Uh, before we wrap up, um, I wanted to mention like our popcorn quarterfinal matches. Are there any ones that you sort of have circled, sort of must-watch uh, tennis, men's and women's side as we get going uh, with Tuesday and Wednesday? I mean, all of them. Yeah. Okay, all of them. <laughs> I'm just, I was, I was on vacation for the first week of Wimbledon, so I was trying to catch as much as I could here and there. 
but uh, mostly spending time with my, my wife and kids. But so now I want to catch up. So now I want to see all of it. And uh, I, I love Wimbledon. I've said it before. I grew up on this tournament. The grass season is so short. I just want to enjoy it while it's while it's still here. Um, and and I yeah, truthfully, I mean, I'm looking at the draws right now, and I can't I can't pick just one match. I mean, all of them have certain levels of of intrigue. Obviously, I I still love watching Serena at the Slams, and of course. and and I just feel like you know that has a, a shelf life just because of what she's juggling outside the court and, and being a mom and, and perhaps she wants to have more kids who knows. Um, and, and it just seems like she struggled so much with injuries this year. So I just want to enjoy Serena while we, we still can win or lose. Um, and, and aside from that, no, I'm just, you know, hungry to have it all because after this one, there's only one slam left already in 2019 and, and how quickly that happens. Yeah, uh, the tennis year uh, goes by quickly, although we do still have a lot of tennis left in the fall post-US Open, but it doesn't feel uh, who quite watches? like the no, same. No, I'm kidding. Some people watch that. <laughs> Some people watch it. We try to watch it, but uh, yeah, it loses a bit of its steam, whereas uh, we're at the peak of uh, the tennis season right now at the oldest tournament in the world, Wimbledon Championships. So many great matches to see. Uh, I'm curious to see Sam Query, actually, someone we haven't mentioned on the program yet. Should give him credit uh, for what he's able to do on the grass year after year. Here's a former semifinalist here. He opened the tournament with the upset of Dominic Team, and now he has a chance to challenge Rafael Nadal. Look, he beat Djokovic here in 2016 too. Uh, he's been a giant killer in the past, so Nadal will actually have his hands full in that quarterfinal. Yeah, he loves the grass and he beat Nadal in their last match, albeit two years ago in Acapulco, um, so it's not like he's never had a victory against Rafa, and that's got to bode well for his confidence coming in, his favorite surface, his service clicking, he's playing great, and he beat Rafa the last time they played, so. Yeah, uh, a lot of things working in his favor to to give himself a chance we will wrap up the episode didn't do one last week but we do have a rogers cup ticket giveaway uh two weeks ago we asked people to share their favorite uh memories stories uh, of rogers cup whether you're in attendance or maybe even if you were just watching on television and we had tremendous response that was fun and i think as we get closer to the tournament i'd like to share a few of those because there were some really like there were some you know predictable but in a good way predictable answers some big matches you know dennis in montreal a couple summers ago that sort of thing but then there were also some sort of quirky ones too that i think will be fun to look into as the the tournament gets closer um so thank you to everyone for uh, volunteering those uh, special moments for you and we had a ton of people that put their names forth so these are two tickets to the uh remind me is it Tuesday evening session that we're drawing, or was yes, it the Wednesday? Uh, August 7th, which I believe oh, is sorry, the, Wednesday. the Wednesday evening session. We're, we're drawing right now, though, for the Wednesday daytime. Okay, this that's is, what, yes, this is Wednesday daytime. So August 7th, daytime pass to the event here in Toronto. Yeah, sorry, too much Manic Monday for us, I guess. <laughs> eh? So, okay, so give me a number between uh, 1 and 50. 1 and 50. Let's go with 31. Okay, number 31, that is Dean. Dean, uh, I struggle with last name, so Dean T, we will be in touch with you via Twitter. Congratulations, you've got two tickets to the Wednesday, August 7th daytime. And let's do another, we want to do another one for next week. Yeah, the Wednesday. We got two tickets to Wednesday, August 7th evening session. Yes. And what are we going to do for this one? Well, I thought it would be pretty straightforward. Um, Give us your predictions for the men's and women's winners at, at Wimbledon. That'll be your chance to enter for two tickets to uh, Rogers Cup Toronto, as you said. Evening session, August 7th. 
Tweet us on Matchpoint Canada. Let us know your predictions for the men's winner and the women's winner. Uh, I, I feel like we're going to see the same three names cycled around on the men's winner. I'm not really sure who people are going to be picking on the women's side. I wonder how many people will get it right on both of them. I think we should just, you know, pick the people that get both of them right yes, and do we, a draw if from. If we have any who get both right, right. Uh, they will be in a short draw for a chance to win. Good luck. There you go. And uh, thank you so much for listening, as always, to Matchpoint Canada. We will be back next week with a full recap of the Wimbledon Championships. We will see who our winners are. Enjoy all the tennis. 